Hey everyone, it's Natalie. I just wanted to say, sincerely, thank you so much for listening to our show. Your support is the reason we still get to make it, so thank you. If you've been enjoying the show, please spread the word. Tell a friend, leave a review. Every little bit counts. Like a lot of you, we're taking this week off for Thanksgiving, but we'll be back next week with another episode about Kelly and the Satanic Panic. In the meantime, we wanted to share a similar story, one of the very first we ever did for Infamous. It's about the sex cult Nexium, and it features our never-before-heard interviews with Nexium's inner circle, including Keith Raniere, Nancy Salzman, and Alison Mack, among others. Now, Keith had not given an interview to a reporter in 14 years before he talked to Vanessa, so it's pretty fascinating stuff. If you like what you hear, scroll back in your feed to find all six parts of our series, Nexium's Inner Circle. Thanks for listening. Campsite Media. Let me take you back to about six years ago. I'm walking up to the door of a small self-help center. It goes by a couple of different names. One of them is Executive Success Program, or ESP for short. Another name is Nexium, like the heartburn medication. Thank you. I'm at this place to meet one of the richest women in America. Her name is Claire Bronfman, and she's giving me a tour. Every center has like different pictures of friends and people who come here. Claire was raised in the UK, and she has one of those upper-crust British accents. She has light brown hair and is incredibly slight. When I thought of her, I thought of one of those mice that can collapse their bodies to get into really small spaces. In terms of this center, there had actually been reports that this self-help group was a cult. I was there to find out if that was true. Now, when it says ESP, Executive Success Programs, but is it ESP from it? Is that part of the reason that... No. No, not at all? Well, how would you define ESP? Being able to, you know, divine other people's thoughts or have a intuition about what's going to happen or... No, okay. But you know what? Because <laughs> that would have been really cool. If that was part of it. Yeah. The thing is, it does help you be more in touch with yourself. Right. Be more in touch with yourself. Mm-hmm. I scribbled that down. And it's sort of, you know, those, you have that good voice and that, you know, that not so good voice. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the one that's saying, uh, you know, like you said you would have to a diet. And then there's the other one that's saying, like, what diet? It's okay. You can, like, <laughs> let's jump straight in. Um, Claire said that the group could help you listen to the good voice, the voice that would be telling you to diet. I don't know if you would call that ESP. Right, sort of right, like right. Your, your inner, like your... Inner strength more, or inner, yeah. It's more yourself talking. And the other one, the, the other one's the body going, <laughs> but the cake's delicious. Right, right, right. Sure. I was a little disappointed about the ESP thing. I'm sort of joking, but I also thought this group would be a little more woo-woo. But then Claire showed me a wall, decked out with shiny satin sashes. They were in a rainbow of colors. I'm talking about the kind of sash that you hang around your neck, 
like that Asian scarf look. The Pro Valley one is sort of like a judo uh, martial arts. So we do have sashes and we have, you know, student is white, proctor is orange, senior proctor is green. And, uh, this was Nexium's ranking system. What are you? I'm orange. <laughs> Now, one person had a sash that was different from everyone else's sash. Keith's is white, but it's, it's a longer white, and that just uh, signifies that as a unique student, he considers mm -hmm. himself just a student mm -hmm. of life. Keith Ranieri, the leader of Nexium, Claire is in awe of him. He wants to empower people. You know, I mean, quite frankly, I travel a ton, and I don't find people in general happy. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ugly stuff in this world. Mm -hmm. Keith has tools that can help. The only thing is Keith is a controversial man, and he might not be as great as Claire claimed. Some people say he doesn't have tools. He has weapons. Keith Ranieri is the most horrific, abusive cult leader that I've ever heard of in my 30-some years of doing this work. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Infamous. A godlike figure to his followers who funnel millions to his self-help group. Three words I would use to describe Nexium are magnificence times infinity. How we illustrate human nobility, how we are noble, is to get rid of the concept of victim. For Keith Ranieri, this was about sex, money, and power. The government threatened to prosecute me for simply sharing my story. We are very thankful to Keith Ranieri. He created a wonderful opportunity for women to grow to the next level. And we didn't even realize that we could go this far. I'm Vanessa Gregoriadis. This is episode one of a four-part series entitled The Inner Circle. This week, I'm going to tell a story about one of my all-time strangest reporting trips. Because Nexium wasn't all about honorability and wearing sashes and being a student of life. It was a crazy sex cult. You may have heard of it. But that would all come out later. Back in 2017, I got a tip that they were looking for a reporter to do a story about their group. Obviously, when people like this are trying to get press, they want it to be positive. And they want it for a reason. Maybe they're trying to expand, or trying to counter some sort of bad press. Or maybe they're trying to preempt an existential catastrophe. The last one would be the case here, but I didn't know it yet. What I did know was that at this point, Nexium had not spoken to a journalist in 14 years. Now, they looked normal. They were in a sort of conventional suburb outside of Albany, New York. They were like any sort of well-to-do women you'd see at a Pilates class. They wore Lululemon. They drove nice cars. But beyond the appearance of normalcy, they were cloistered and shut off from the world. Until now. Because now, the New York Times had published a bombshell story saying Nexium wasn't the self-help group it claimed to be. Instead, it was terrifying and abusive, and they were fixated on power and control. There was extreme dieting. There was secret polyamory. There were members forking over tons of cash. 
Now, this was something I'd never really thought about before. How an organization that's being accused of being a cult would react if they're under fire. My only knowledge was what happened at the People's Temple in Jonestown. Back in the late 70s, there was a confederacy of reporters and a congressman who had come down to Guyana to see what the fuck was going on down there. And the reporters were shot at by the People's Temple folks. Some of them died. And then 900 of the People's Temple members drank cyanide and also died. It was pretty much the biggest catastrophe involving a cult in modern history. Naxima General was not violent, though punishment and sadism will enter into this story. And honestly, they made a good choice when they picked me as their reporter. I actually have half a religious studies degree. When I graduated from college, I went to grad school for sort of religious anthropology. I thought I would become an anthropologist, chronicling the way power moves in religious groups, like churches in California, megapastors in Texas. It was just totally fascinating to me. I learned so much about the way that new religious movements are demonized as cults, whether they're evangelical offshoots or just somebody preaching down at a farmer's market trying to start a church. In any case, I, I just thought that the word cult could be thrown around way too much. It's a sort of ugly word that can be applied to people who just don't live a conventional life. And look, at this point, the truth is we didn't know for sure if Nexium was a cult. They called themselves a self-help group, and not many major outlets had publicly called them a cult. That's, like, considered a little below the belt unless you're totally sure. Even the New York Times hadn't come out and just said it. So I needed to find out who they really were. A bunch of people on a self-improvement kick? Or an abusive cult of women under one man's spell? I'd find my answer after spending a lot of time with some of those women. And eventually, the man himself. More after the break. You're listening to Infamous from Campside Media. As I began to dig into some research on Nexium, I wondered what I was getting myself into. I mean, it was very hard to understand what they even believed. But I did know one thing about their leader, Keith Raniere. He loves Ayn Rand, a writer who most people get over by the time they finish college, a writer beloved by lots of libertarians. You say that you do not like the altruism by which we live. You, you like a certain kind of Ayn Randist selfishness. I uh, would say that I don't like is too weak a word. I consider it evil. If it is a love placed above oneself, it is more than immoral, it's impossible. Because when you are to Ayn Rand and to Keith, selfishness was good. But that is what, uh, in fact, makes man a sacrificial animal. That man must work for others, concern himself with others, or be responsible for them. Understood. Who wanted to be a sacrificial animal? But then, what was I to make of the charges that were starting to leak into the press about Keith? Like, he was insisting that women in the group stay on near-starvation diets, or that they perform penances meant to hurt them 
like wake up in the middle of the night and just stand still for a while to just prove you could do it. Then there was the thing that had captured everyone's attention. We are told the rendezvous was a secret. Five women summoned to a house outside Albany, New York, one night this past March, willingly participating in a strange initiation ritual led by a woman who told everyone to take off their clothes and put on a blindfold. A bunch of women in Nexium had been sort of marked. One by one, they lay on a massage table. The other women stood around holding their hands or holding their feet. And one of the women, who was a doctor, used a cauterizing pen to brand the others. Now, I'm not talking about a tattoo. I'm talking about a brand. It wasn't quite like using a heated metal rod to mark the side of a cow, but it was still pretty aggressive. Now, when you're negotiating for access in a complicated story like this, people sometimes assume there's a quid pro quo. Like, Nexium won't allow you to write about them until you assure them it's a positive story. But that's not what happens. What they'll do is try to select a writer who doesn't hew to conventional ways of thinking. They want to take a look at your previous writing and see what it's all about. So I put together a sample of articles that I thought they might like. There was a story about a guy who was accused of being the biggest LSD dealer in the Pacific Northwest. There was a profile I wrote about Patti Smith, a story about Devendra Banhart. I, I don't know, I was grasping at straws. But I guess I passed the test, because they agreed to give me access to their centers and to some of their most prominent members. This was such an exciting story. I really wanted to stick the landing. But I also knew that Nexium was extremely litigious. They'd sued a lot of journalists, and they'd sued them personally, not the places that they worked for. It was really scary. I, I was pretty nervous. I knew also that they could pull back access at any time if they didn't like my questions or my attitude towards the group. So as I packed up my little recorder, I thought about my approach. I decided to try to draw them out slowly, non-confrontationally, no challenges. All right, so should we sit? Where, where, where would you like to sit, really? I'm good. I sat down with Claire Bronfman. So... I mean, why did you, why did you decide to give an interview now? What was your thought process? I think it's time. Um, you know, we, we've never done it in the past, but I think at this point we need to set the record straight. Mm -hmm. We've been silent too long, and I think that's our shortcoming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to share. We need to share who we. Are. I mean, I think a lot of people feel afraid or. or you know, they read so much that's in the negative, mm -hmm. and we're just allowing ourselves to be right. you know, beaten over the head. Right. So when people say it's a cult, what would you say back to that? It's not a cult. Yeah. There's nothing we do that's bad, and I think cult implies bad. Now, you might wonder, why was I talking to Claire Bronfman instead of Keith? Well, Claire seemed to be the one who was in charge of PR. I used the word seemed because so much in Nexium would not be as it seemed. But it did make some sense because, remember, she was one of the richest women in America. 
She's an heir to the Seagram's fortune. Seagram's, like seltzer and ginger ale. Why not try something you've never had before? Is that a line? No, it's a drink. That's Seagram's. Claire told me the press had gotten it all wrong. Nexium, and especially Keith Raniere, were just trying to make the world a better place by unlocking people's potential to do good. She said even the Dalai Lama liked Keith. The Dalai Lama ended up saying, you know what, I have a moral obligation to support you guys because what you're doing is good. Mm-hmm. He wrote the foreword for Keith's second book. Mm-hmm. I mean, Keith, not only did he create ESP, but he's created, you know, peace movements here in Mexico, which has actually been one of the most important things to him. Mm-hmm. They did a peace pledge mm-hmm. uh, that Keith wrote to help the country overcome the violence. You know, things that we that we do that Keith has created, they're pretty prolific. I mean, he put a whole team of people together to research every cancer treatment that's out there. We're also doing a preliminary case study on a group of people who have Tourette's. And we went into a program, an ethics program. Claire to told me Nexium offered courses um, with names like Mobius. They taught ethics, how to be a better person in the world, how to integrate your past with your present. There was a lot of inner child work. They talked a lot about pain, pain like masochistic pain, pain that you put on yourself was actually good. Penances were good. The hardest thing for me, honestly, mm-hmm. is the capacity that we have to do things in the world and how that's being destroyed. Mm-hmm. It's sad to me because it oftentimes is made about this sex thing as opposed to what we can do in the world and the mm-hmm. tools that we have. Mm-hmm. That's right. hard. Right. Because in my opinion, it's so, so secondary to what's important. So what is the, what is the situation with sex within ESP and some people sleeping with Keith or not sleeping with Keith? Or what is the general dynamic? I'm probably not the best person to ask. I think that there are some people in ESP who sex is very intimate and it's very, it's not something that's taken lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe Keith is a, on that end of the spectrum. It's not just, you know, sex isn't just sex for the sake of sex. This was all sounding really weird, but also sort of impressive. So maybe the reporting was wrong? In any case, I was here to find the truth. More after the break. This is Infamous from Campside Media. So Claire had told me that there was nothing Nexium did that was bad. And she herself seemed like a nice, soft-spoken person. She had funded Nexium. She believed in Nexium. They were teaching these classes at self-help centers with sashes on the wall. It was maybe a little bit like Kabbalah, you know, a self-improvement class that could help coach you through hard times in life but also a little controlling. And maybe they were all having sex with each other. What Claire said had sort of lined up with what I imagined the situation would be. Maybe Anexium was a polyamorous sex group, and it wasn't sex for the sake of sex. It was sex for enlightenment, or sex for a new sash, something like that. But the branding, I really needed to know what was going on with that. 
Was getting this brand a choice, or was it horribly abusive? There was a rumor going around that the brand, this weird two-inch-by-two-inch sort of hieroglyph, was not a meaningless symbol. And it was right on the women's pelvic areas, like in the area that a saucy person might have a tattoo of a little fairy or a rose. Claire had not received a brand, but Nexium introduced me to someone who did. She's a TV star whose name is Allison Mack. How long have you known? I guess I've always had my suspicions. That's her on Smallville, a TV show once on the channel called the WB and then the CW. She's not quite Tom Cruise, but she was the most famous actor in Nexium. The quick exits, the miraculous recoveries, the lame excuses. But I think when I saw you catch a car like it was a beach ball, that kind of confirmed everything. I walked down a really snowy street in Brooklyn Heights. There were all these brownstones, just gorgeous, gorgeous brownstones all around. Okay, I'm on the first floor. Okay. I, I rang the bell and I went up the stairs to Allison Mack's house. Uh, hi. Thank you so much. I'm going to offer you water. Okay. I will take some water. Thank you. Now, one of the quirks of Nexium is that they tape record absolutely everything. So for our conversation, Allison pulled out a tape recorder, and I had mine too. Yes. <laughs> Here, I can put it on top of yours that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I found out today that the guy that owns the apartment before me actually passed away. Ooh. So I'm sort of feeling like very reverential. Right. Him and yeah. Space okay. It was clear we were both nervous. Yeah. I mean, how weird was the setup? Yeah. I was talking with a famous actress about a possible cult she was in. And actually, she was looking quite skinny, I realized. She had on this strange outfit, leggings under a dress that was sort of cut like a potato sack. Um, okay, so tell me about Nexium. And you also have to tell me why this name it's what, so weird. Yeah. What, why is that? <laughs> exactly. I don't know. To be honest, I really don't know. Okay. It's just weird. Okay. What is it supposed to stand for? I have no idea. It's some Greek thing. Like oh, it's, it's not right. years, but it's but it's a Latin sort of derivative of something. Keith is like really smart, and he comes up with things that okay. are like way beyond what people would assume is obvious. Right. And right. He doesn't right. Necessarily think that it's not obvious. Okay. He assumes that people think the way he thinks sometimes. Um, so. It's something that he came up with. Allison yeah, said that Keith was the reason she became involved in Nexium in the first place. And I wasn't feeling the way I wanted to feel about the work that I was doing. And I started to realize that I was spending time here kind of playing the part of an actress in New York, but feeling very like empty about it. So I moved to Albany to like fill that emptiness and like find the soul of myself again. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like it had fizzled. And I asked Keith if he would help me become a great actress again because I felt like I was a fraud. Mm -hmm. I wasn't. Allison went on and on about how amazing Keith was a Buddha, a shining star. Anyway, I figured it was time to cut to the chase. 
So what then, like the branding does what? Let's figure out exactly what's going on with this brand. I was like, y'all, fucking tattoo. Like, yeah. people get drunk and get tattooed on their ankle BFF or like tramp stamps. Really? Like, for now, I have two tattoos and they like mean nothing. Yeah. You know? I thought it would be cool to have something more meaningful and something that took more guts. So this brand, which actually a lot of women had gotten burned into flesh at Allison's apartment, was Allison's idea. But why Keith's initials then, if he's not it's a father of initials. Oh, it's just like a... It's bar you. She took out a pen and paper. So the bar is the line straight across, which is the infinity symbol. Okay. This means infinity. Alpha, mm-hmm. which is the A. I can put the line right there. So that is alpha is beginning. Right? Like first new birth. And then mu is an M that comes through there. Yeah. And that is something I see. But why does it look like a KR with an AM? This was something else people were saying online. When you really looked at the brand, it was like a hieroglyph. But also, it seemed like it had a KR in it. And when you looked closer, it also seemed like it had other letters. Maybe an A-M. Allison Mack. I know, with a fucking A-M. Yeah. Believe me, that scared the shit out of me when that <laughs> stuff started showing up. I was like, okay, I'm arrogant, but I'm not that fucking arrogant. You go around having my initials branded yeah. into women's bodies okay. forever. Like, yeah. No. Okay, but why? Why were these women doing this? Why on earth would a self-help group that included people wearing sashes also include women engaging in self-mutilation? It's a sorority, in the essence. That's what it is. It's Mm -hmm. a women's organization that was intended to empower women, Mm -hmm. basically. In my experience, it's the solution to a lot of the shit that's going on. The sorority, as Allison called it, was a small, exclusive group within Nexium. The vast majority of people in Nexium, they, they weren't a part of it, and they weren't getting brands. Even the high-up people like Claire Bronfman. Because it really is about women coming together and pledging to one another a full-time commitment to become our most powerful and embodied selves mm-hmm. by pushing on our greatest fears, by exposing our greatest vulnerabilities, by knowing that we would stand with each other no matter what, mm-hmm. by upholding our word, by overcoming pain. like. There were all of these things that we created for each other that don't necessarily exist in the world for women, mm-hmm. unless you're in like a war-torn country. Right. Okay, Allison lost me there. Were a bunch of wealthy white women really trying to give each other the devastating experience of being in a war-torn country as a form of self-help? Is this what the branding thing was all about? Like some out-of-touch rich girl fight club? It was like badass warrior bitches. It was like mm-hmm. what we would say, like, yeah, let's get strong together. Mm-hmm. This is what Allison told me. They were women trying to get strong. Women trying to get badass. What would happen if women were ballsy enough to brand themselves in, in the name of honor and commitment? What would happen if women were ballsy enough to, you know, stand up for each other in the face of greatest diversity? Like, mm-hmm. What would that be like? But here's a question. If this was some sort of tough, rich girl fight club sorority, why was a man such a key part of it? 
So the person who complains, the person who self-victimizes, those are all abusers. So well, what was Keith's role then? Was he involved so, at all? No, or? he wasn't okay. involved at all in the development of it. And that's okay. the thing that's so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> that's going on. He, he, so Keith develops curriculum. That's what all of these companies yeah. are, are different curriculum for introspection that uh, Keith came up with that are more like talk therapy. Like it's very Socratic in nature. Right, right. So these are all like philosophies that Keith had developed and processes of questioning and introspection that Keith had coined and developed and patented over mm -hmm. his own journey of the last 30 years and taught. So we took those things. We took those ways of questioning, those ways of addressing fears, those ways of looking at our own personal growth mm -hmm. and applied them to this. Mm -hmm. Because for us, it just made sense to do that. They were valuable tools that were great and effective and about somewhere in the first year of the development of the group we were like maybe we should ask permission to use his intellectual right. property for our own gain <laughs> and so that was the first time he heard about the sorority but that was the only thing that he heard about okay. the sorority he's not he's not the head of a harem i'm right. not like I'm not recruiting young nubile women to be his sex slaves. Like, mm -hmm. it's, that's not at all what's going on. Right, right. It was exactly what was going on. But I wouldn't find that out until months later. In this moment, in Alison Mack's studio in Brooklyn Heights, I was listening to her and just thinking, yeah, it would be be crazy if you were getting young nubile women to be a cult leader's sex slaves. I mean, these people were sort of weird, and yeah, they were culty, but they were also wearing normal clothes, normal haircuts, just meeting in little self-help centers, talking a lot about wanting to be good. So in that moment, I was still thinking, maybe they're getting a raw deal. And then Allison's words began pouring forth. It was almost like they'd been scripted. I just felt like, wow. You know, it's mm -hmm. the crucible. Mm -hmm. It's the McCarthy trials. It's right. just like throwing accusations and, and spreading like wildfire. And then it's also a campaign based in fear. Mm -hmm. So it's like, did you know that this is what they were doing? Did you know that this Keith and Allison's initial was right? Why didn't you know that? Didn't you see? Yeah, Could yeah. Could you tell? How, why would they do that to you? You know, what, why all the new pictures? Why all the new this? Why all the, what's really going on? And yeah. People get fucking scared when right. shit like that's brought up. Right. And especially because that stuff is scary. That's why we were doing it, to get us through our fears, right? So, right. but then it's being used against you and you just run, literally. People right. disappearing in the middle of the night. Right friends like gone yeah. and you're just like what happened and like some of my best friends gone like out of my life really like, don't, yeah like I can't talk to them anymore I don't I believe that you're doing really bad things and I think you're sick and I'm like talk to me for a few minutes let me tell you what we're doing like no you're brainwashed mm -hmm. you're sick and I just was like walking with myself and I was going like, am I crazy? Like, am I, am I like, am I like 
you know, one of like <laughs> these awful people that you read about that like does horrible things and thinks that she's like doing things for God. Like, mm -hmm. am I nuts? Like, am I crazy? And I, I had a lot of conversations with myself like that. And ultimately I just sat down and I like looked at my life and I looked at my relationships and I looked at all of the things I had written, journals that I had kept, mm -hmm. things that I had done over the last few years and it was so consistently good. Good. These people desperately wanted me to think that Nexium was good. But the more I'd learn, the worse it would get. I remembered watching these movies where the person would be like going to jail for life because they were falsely committed for a murder that they didn't commit. And you know, their defense attorney would just be like, just admit that you did it and you'll be gone in 10 years. Right. Yeah, just yeah. admit it. And they're like, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't do it. Right. All of a sudden I was like, I understand. <laughs> Next time on Infamous. The way that it works is that there is a problem in the world, and Keith comes up with a solution for it. Men are actually responsible. You see, being responsible is a combination of potency and results. Women see the global picture and they guide the men. Only, unfortunately, if they're not wise women, they guide the men through complaining. I really just wanted to figure out how the fuck do I be like 100% honest and intimate with somebody. Right. Was your hair falling out? No more than it does. Like, you know how hair falls out like every three, three months? Mm-hmm. I always have that. Infamous is a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. It's created, executive produced, and hosted by Gabriel Sherman and me, Vanessa Grigoriadis. I wrote this episode with Shoshi Shmulovitz, our managing producer and editor. Some of this reporting appeared in the New York Times Magazine in 2018. The executive producers at Campside are Josh Dean, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. Rajiv Gola is our senior producer. Our associate producers are Lily Smith, Grace Heerman, and Garrett Graham. This episode was edited by Natalie Robomed, sound designed by Alistair Sherman, fact-checked by Sarah Krolevsky, and recorded by Ewen Leitremuen. Our mix engineer is David Devereaux. Thank you to PJ Vogt, and thank you to Campside's operations team, Doug Slaywin, Aaliyah Papes, and Destiny Dingle. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear the rest of this story about Nexium, just scroll way back in your feed to find the other episodes. There are six of them in total, and they're called Nexium's Inner Circle. You've already heard episode one, so you would start with episode two. Thanks again for being a fan, and have a wonderful holiday.